You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, everyone. You know, I wasn't sure who would come today. I thought it would just be me and the leadership here, because they have to be here. So it's good to see so many of you here this morning, and I hope you had a, a rich time this Christmas with family and celebrating Jesus. And um, this morning, it's, it's a little different for me. Last night I came and I was praying and seeking the Lord and the Lord really shifted the direction of things this morning. And I just, I'll be honest with you, when he does that, I, I, I do have this internal frustration that happens because I've spent all week preparing a message. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I... I have some really good things to say, I thought, you know, and, and then just to have a complete shift of direction. I've learned as I've walked with the Lord to be obedient to those times and that God makes up the difference. The greatest thing that I could ever have to say isn't going to change your life, but if the Holy Spirit breathes upon it, um, that's when it can really affect your heart. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 3 this morning. This is something the Lord has been ministering to me this week and just in my own time with the Lord. So I don't have, um, you know, a nice little intro for you or anything like that to set up this message. Um, Other than that, John chapter 3, these first 21 verses really paint such a beautiful picture to us of how Jesus responds to a hungry heart. How... The Lord draws close to us when there's a hunger, when there's a yearning, when there's a longing for something more. And there's seasons in our life, I really believe it's God's mercy. Like Alex was saying, this kindness is what draws us. This kindness is what leads us in repentance. There's those times in our life where you can feel the pull of the Holy Spirit. And as I've walked with the Lord, I've said, God, keep my heart tender towards you, that I always feel that pull, even the slightest of tugging towards you, that God, I would feel it and I would respond. And it would stir up something in me, a hunger for more. You know, there's something in us as humans that we have a propensity towards coasting, towards gaining some knowledge or insight or experience and saying, that's good enough for me. It happens, uh, me, uh, me as a musician, it, it happens as, as a musician, where you, you start to know your way around a little bit and you, you can not sound horrible. And you're like, all right, I got, I got some really things, uh, some good things going here. And then you, you, you're good. Not knowing that there's so much more. There's so much more. So in John chapter 3 is a story of the Pharisee Nicodemus coming to Jesus. But I actually want to back up just two verses. This is a a portion of scripture I've read a hundred times in my life. And just this week, just even last night, the Lord just hit me in the face because it really encapsulates what we're running after as a church. You could feel it here this morning. Even if there's you know, fewer number of us, you could feel it here this morning, God responding to hunger. 
In John chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw signs that he was performing and believed in him. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people, and he did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. We've been running after the Lord in a, in a greater way. With the purity of heart. You know, sometimes we can treat Jesus like Santa Claus, right? Like, we just want all the good things that he has for us. And here we see that Jesus, all these people came, they saw the signs and the wonders, and they believed. But it was like a superficial belief, and Jesus would not entrust himself fully to these people. So Jesus would visit these places, and he would come, and he would respond and visit these places, but he would rest among those who loved him. He rested with his disciples, those who had a devoted and following. Or Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He would spend time with those people. He'd rest. He would let his proverbial hair down in those places. And as a church, we would say, God, we want, we want you to entrust your, yourself with, uh, we want to entrust us with more of yourself, Lord. That we would have a purity of heart that we're not just running after the good things that you can give us. God wants to heal you. God wants to give you peace and he wants to give you joy. But he also, he just wants us to love him. He wants us to see him for his beauty and who he is. That he's worthy beyond what he can give us. That he's worthy. And I believe as a church, as we just make a resolute, we, we draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, we just want you. We just want you. We just want you. The Lord will entrust us with more of himself. And I'm not talking about extra revelation. I'm talking about more of his power, more of his presence, more of his glory among us. You know, there's real needs in this place. There's real needs. And a, a message and songs and tried advice are not going to help a person who's fighting for their life or who's given up, who's struggling in the throes of depression. They need a touch from the Lord. They need to experience the glory and power and presence of God. And so, God, would you entrust us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you entrust us with more of yourself this morning? Would your glory fall in this place, God? We don't want to just have another meeting and have another Sunday morning. Lord, we want more of you, Jesus. We want more of you, Jesus. That we would behold your beauty, God, your worth. And even in our hearts, we would love you as the worthy one. The one who holds it all together, the Alpha and Omega, as we just sang. The King overall, King Jesus. Amen. So in John chapter 3, we see this Pharisee named Nicodemus. Well, we'll just read it. How about that? In verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God, if God were not with them. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
So we have this man named Nicodemus who's a Pharisee, and he's not just any Pharisee. He's part of the ruling council. He's the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's the leader of leaders. And he comes to Jesus at night, and rabbis were known to stay up late studying the word, studying Torah and Talmud, having conversations with one another. And he comes to Jesus at night also he was probably afraid of what people would think. But he comes to Jesus and he, he says, you know, I know that you're from the Lord. I don't necessarily know what entirely you are. I know you're from God. And Jesus does something that I just find hilarious because he does it throughout the Gospels. As he answers a question that wasn't asked. Do you see that several times? Everyone's looking around. It's like, we didn't ask that question. But you gave us this answer. And I, I think it's a beautiful thing because Jesus is answering the real question. That, that thing that, that Nicodemus is, is the real longing of his heart. He's, he's just kind of beating around the bush. He's, 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 he's flying around the perimeter. And Jesus said, I already know. We read it in the, ver the verses prior. He already knows what's in each one of our hearts, the good and the bad. He knows what's in every single one of our hearts. And he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He answers what Nicodemus is really asking. How do I know God? And Nicodemus answers, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He understood what Jesus is saying. He answers figuratively with the, like kind of the ridiculous question. But he's also, what he's also saying is, I'm a, I'm a Jew, so I'm already, I'm already part of the thing. I'm already part of this. And so he didn't understand what Jesus was actually saying. In verse 5 it says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Let's stop there. Jesus talking about a spiritual rebirth. That sin has so infected mankind that we need to be born again. And he's going to die. Jesus is, soon after this, he is going to die. He's going to be crucified. Pay for every single one of our sins. The world's sin, but also your sin, my sin. He's going to hang on a cross that should have been mine and should have been yours. So that we can be reborn People of the Spirit and His Holy Spirit can live inside of us. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to sin. We just, we just celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus. Jesus was the first to do everything. Jesus never asked us to do something He didn't do already. Jesus was born. He was conceived of the Spirit, wasn't He? And even in rebirth, when we give our lives to Jesus, it's like a... It's like a, a, a different version it's a, a, of what Jesus already did before us. We are reborn. We are conceived of the Spirit. So then he says, you must be born again. Again, that, that word you there he is a plural, so he's not just saying to Nicodemus. He's saying 
Every one of us must be born again. If we want to see the kingdom, if we want to know God, we must be born again. Or born from on high, as another version say, or another um, interpretation say. We must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone born with, of the Spirit. It's kind of a confusing phrase. Another way of translating it, that word blows could be breathed. The wind is talking about, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It could read like this. The Spirit breathes wherever it wants. You can hear his voice, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We're invited on this journey of the Lord that at times can be terrifying. <laughs> like me standing in front of you this morning with the message that I didn't prepare and saying, Lord, what, what's going on here? The wind blows wherever it pleases. The, the psalmist says, we serve a God who does what he wants. But we know his voice. And what does he ask us to do? Does he ask us to figure everything out first? No, he says, simply hear his voice, and his sheep will know his voice. And we hear his voice, and we obey. And we step out confidently in that. So then Nicodemus goes on to say, how can this be? He asked a question in verse 4, where it wasn't like a, a serious question. But now in verse 9, you can see something turning in his heart. How can this be? You think about the, a Pharisee's life. It was one of, uh, of splitting hairs in the law. It's one of like one-upmanship, of this performance-based life. And this performance is all just a big facade to keep people out of what's actually there. And the Pharisee heart is alive and well still today. Keep people at bay so I'm not exposed. The shame within me is not exposed. And it's an exhausting way to live. It's an exhausting way to live. And so now you, you, you can hear this turning. How can this be? And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things. He says, this is the best this life has to offer. Your way of living, you've, you've already attained the best that it has, and it falls so short. Our striving and our performance for the Lord produces a very pitiful fruit. And it might even be good fruit, but it's not God fruit. So then he goes on and he says, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of the heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you like the simple thing. I'm giving you the foundation, the ABCs. And you can't even understand the ABCs. How can you ex expect to understand the deep things of the Lord? Because it's the Spirit of God who reveals to us the deep things of God. It's His Spirit. 
Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's 2 Corinthians. That's not going to get us where we need to go. Verse 9, it says, "What, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. What we have received is not a spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has given freely to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual, spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. It's the Spirit of God. So as a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside one of, every one of us. And it begins to reveal to us the deep things of God. His heart towards you, his heart towards humanity. Scripture is illuminated. He goes on to say in verse 14, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. He gives this one instance, but he's also saying, I am in this whole book. Jesus is in this whole book. Old and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. He's in the whole thing. He's in the whole thing. And so when the Spirit comes alive in us, we see Jesus everywhere. In the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob wrestling with God. In the the story of Hosea. We see it everywhere from from beginning to end. We see Jesus. He was there all along, right in front of our faces. And as you walk with God, as you've come to know him, if 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 you're a follower of Jesus, hasn't that been your experience? You look back on your life and you say, man, you've been there the whole time. You've been right there under my nose the whole time. How could I have missed it? How could I have missed it? Lord, it wasn't me who found you. It was you who found me. You were there the whole time. Why? Well, he tells us in the next verse, verse 16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Just think about that, those words. God loved the world. Put your name there. God loved you. God loved you, for God so loved you, for God so loved you. He was willing to change your heart, transform your mind, heal your body, free you. Why? For love, for love. He could have wiped the whole thing out and started over. But he didn't for love, because of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, it's an important word, whoever, it doesn't matter your spiritual pedigree. 
It doesn't matter if you're part of the, the chosen ones, the, Jewish, the Jews, or as some believe, the, the elect. It's whoever. Whoever. Whoever does what? Believes. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes. That word believes means to, to be fully persuaded. What you really believe comes out in how you live your life. And there are all kinds of paradigms of the world that are not bad. You could give your life to philosophy. You could give your life to science. You could give your life to education and so on and so on and so on. And all those things are good things. They were created by the Lord. But they are incomplete without him. They are incomplete without him. And so if we, we, if we put all of our eggs into that basket, if we believe with everything that we are into those things, we will be left empty-handed because it's incomplete without him. God so loved. All over this room, I can see faces and testimonies in this place of God's rede- redemption. Drug, once drug addicts, once depressed, once dying of cancer. And God loved you. My own story. Losing my mother as a young man to suicide and being so angry with God and hating God. Not understanding that all along God gives us the the option to choose. He doesn't force any one of us to love him. We get to choose. People make choices, and they're not what God designed us to make, but we still make them. And real love comes with choice. It's not love if there is no choice. So I grew many years, many, many years, running from the Lord until I was 20 years old. And I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. Depressed and suicidal. And Jesus changed my life. He found me. He was right there all along. And I had misconceptions about who he was. And his intentions towards me. God so loved me that he sent his son to die. Willingly he came. He was not forced or coerced. He willingly came. So that I could be changed and experience his presence. Because God so loved. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. To save the world. There's a lot of different Jesuses going around these days, isn't there? Everyone's got their own version. Jesus, cool Jesus, who's just down with everything. Everything's fine. He loves you, so just live your life however you want. We have the shame on you, Jesus, where he's just waiting to dig the finger in, point the finger in, tell you how terrible you are. But Jesus did not come into this world to condemn it. He came to save it. And he's not standing up 
on a park bench screaming, Turner, burn. He's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you what your heart desires. Come to me. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Scott, would you come to the keys, please? So this is the verdict in verse 19. Light has come into the world. That is good news, and I could preach the, the whole morning message on that. Light has come into the world. We were our people of darkness and have grown accustomed to the darkness, but the light has come into the world to pull us out of the darkness, and light invades the darkness. And like Psalm 139 says, that even the darkness is like light to him. There's no turning. There's no shadows within him. When he comes into the scene, it is light. And now the Spirit of God is in each one of us, right? So we can walk into the darkest of situations, and it's not dark anymore because the light is there. The light that is in you now illuminates the room. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. You know, Jesus communicates something that I, I have found throughout my experience, throughout my spending time with people, is that shame keeps people, is probably the, the, the chief thing that keeps people from God. fear of being exposed for who they really are. You know, all of us wrestle with flesh, with our flesh, like our, our humanity, right? We all, we all wrestle with that. It's a daily crucifixion of our flesh, like Jesus says in all of the Gospels. Take up your cross and follow me. There's a daily crucifying that happens so to believe in him also comes with surrender and submission to him. Which requires being laid bare before him. You know, five years into my marriage with my wife, my beautiful wife, I realized that so much of my life my ministry was performance. It was a face that I put on. I want you to know if you can't minister in your own home, to your own family, it's a performance. Who you are at home is who you really are. And it was this shame that kept, my, kept me in this cage. I can't let people see, so we gotta hide it. But it's one of those things that it'll, it eventually catches up with you. We came to a place of 
We need to step away. It needs to get all torn down. The house is garbage. We need to tear it down and build it again. We need to build a foundation. We need an actual foundation. It's been on the sinking sand, not the rock. So the Lord in his grace and his mercy took me through the pruning and not just that, the cutting the branches off, the dead branches, only to build again something that is real, something that is authentic, something with a, a found, an actual foundation, something that is the same when no one's looking as in front of everyone else. message is about as simple as it gets and I hope you hear me this morning that God loves you Jesus loves you we know he loves you because he gave his life for you I heard someone say this week we know that he his words are true because the grave is empty the grave is empty Two days ago, I received a, a friend called and or communicated a, a testimony with me of something I had forgotten. Not long before we moved to Ames, I got a call to come pray with a young man who found out he had brain cancer and the doctors gave him five months to live. And that'll cause you to reflect on your life Desperation causes people to do all sorts of things, right? In other countries, people will travel miles a day just for water. Desperation drives us to do things. He said, will you come and will you pray for him? He's not a believer, but he said he'd, he's open to prayer. He's open to anything. And so I went and met this, this young man and he told me a story. He said that every male on his father's side has had cancer. Has either died from cancer or had cancer. Three years prior, his own son, child's son, had, had an aggressive form of brain cancer. And so I shared a message similar to what I shared this morning. And they're in this like public market. <laughs> Scott wasn't there playing keys behind me. <laughs> there he gave his life to Jesus. And we prayed, we laid hands on him that the cancer would leave. And that was really the last that I had ever had of that experience. A friend relay, relayed to me that, that he did receive treatment, but he's been now cancer-free, living for Jesus for three and a half years. And, and they, have a son, they had a son since then. They learned that there's a genetic mutation in the male bloodline on his dad's side, that every male has had it. This, this son that has been conceived since then is the first male to not have that genetic mutation. Amen. Why? 
Yeah. Because God loves. God loves. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.